What is up? Welcome to Forefront 360, a podcast where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm your host, Cody Schweikert, and I am joined by the wonderful Heather Morgino, a photographer, close dear friend of Forefront Festival, uh, and we are truly blessed to have an incredible poet on the show today. Uh, Chris Wheeler is a writer and a poet rooted in Middlebury, Indiana. His nonfiction liturgies and poetry have been published in Barron, Fathom, Story Warren, Reformed Worship, Think Christian, Banner, and The Rabbit Room, among others. He currently lives with his wife and five children in his childhood home in Middlebury, Indiana. He published his first collection of poetry, Solace, in 2020, and his second collection, Masks and Mirrors, came out just recently in the spring of 2023. Chris, thank you for joining us. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Thanks so much for having me here. Listeners, you don't need to know this, but I'm going to let you, in all transparency, I'm going to let you know, this is a visual kind of, we can see each other, except my face is frozen on Chris's end, so he's just staring at like a dumb, static face. Said it looks like I'm chewing something, um, but thank goodness you, you listeners, will never know any of that because the visuals are not being recorded. Uh, Heather, can can you just uh, mention briefly um, how you know Chris and how we we kind of tracked him down and asked him to do this interview for us? Well, we did a collaboration. It's called Pass the Peace, and it's part of Hutchmoot. I don't know. What was it, like two years ago now, I think? And so we collaborated where um, you wrote poetry, and then I um, shot some photography for it and made some art to go along with it. It was awesome. I loved it. Mm. Poetry was beautiful. Yep. Yeah. And so the photography was beautiful. <laughs> it was it was a great Thank collaboration you. all around. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. It was it was a great experience. What a cool project! Um, and it's cool that like, you guys are kind of sim- interested in similar things, which we'll get to. But there's so, some yeah. nature overlap that made that collaboration really natural. I think. Hey, let's get started. If you uh, if you've listened to any of these forefront interview episodes, something we like to do is just a uh, like a lightning round of questions. Has almost nothing to do with uh, poetry or your work or anything, but just helps us get to know you a little bit better, Chris. Uh, so this is lightning round. You just have to kind of respond with first thing that comes to mind, all right? Okay. Beach or mountains? I'm going to choose beach. Mm. Favorite poet? Oh, man. You're going to get this one changes every day. <laughs> this one changes every day. Uh, currently, because currently I am reading her works, it's Ada Limon, who's our poet laureate right now. And hey. her work is fa- fantastic. But if you were to ask me last year, at the end of the year, I was going through Lee Young Lee, who is incredible. So both of those stand out to me right now. Timeline. And I'm sorry. It's the lightning round. I'm sorry. No, I, know. I know. I know. I'm terrible at the lightning round. I, <laughs> so I think we should do a whole podcast that's just like lightning round questions. I know. <laughs> it's, sometimes, it's sometimes my favorite part of the episode, but uh, yeah. I, intention, I intentionally ask people terrible questions like that. They, they don't feel comfortable <laughs> answering. Okay, this one's easier. Tokyo or Paris? Paris. Tacos or pasta? Tacos. Nice. If you could interview <laughs> one person from the Bible, you can't pick Jesus. Who would you pick? Jeremiah. Whoa. Can I get a follow can I get a follow up there? Jeremiah had an extremely difficult message message to share with a people that was not willing to hear it. And mm. he 
the way that he went about doing so, you can see how he struggles with it on mm-hmm. every single page of that book. And as someone who is a writer who believes that uh, writing comes from comes through me from someone else, <laughs> mm-hmm. that um, is is a message that I'm sharing of hope and of grace and of truth um, that resonated quite a bit. Um, mm. And it's, it keeps resonating on multiple. So I just love to sit down with him. I mean, the guy went through a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Jerry, Jerry, let's have a cup of coffee. <laughs> yes, Jerry. Exactly. Need a shoulder to cry on, you know? Um, all right, cool. Uh, would you rather have the ability to speak to any animal or turn into a single animal? Man, these questions. Um, yeah, I'm a weird I guy. I will choose uh, the ability to turn into a single animal. Yeah. Okay, which mm-hmm. animal? It would be a bird of some sort. Ah, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great choice. Absolutely. It's almost hard to, hard to pick anything else. That's yeah. Good. Okay, if you had to fight 50 duck-sized horses <laughs> or one horse-sized duck, what would you pick? <laughs> I love this. I've thought about this one in my nightmares. Of course you have. Um <laughs> It would definitely be the 50 duck-sized horses, was it? That's right. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that's the right answer. Because yeah. you can kick them. Yeah, you can kick them. <laughs> it's, it's a punchable foe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it quickly become a game. That's right. Uh, movies or TV shows? Do you have a preference? TV shows. What have you been yeah. watching lately, most recently? What have you... In the seven in the seventeen minutes of free time you have after your children go to sleep, <laughs> yes, five it, kids. That is that is the moment. Uh, recently, it's been Ted Lasso season three. Oh, yeah, um, we adore that show, my wife and I. I gotta um, do that for yeah. so many reasons, mostly because of this undercurrent of grace that covers the entire thing. It it just is is stunning, stunning. Wow. It's beautiful. Gotta, really, gotta watch that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Kindle or paper books? Paper. Yeah, that's the right answer. In fact, I ask every poet that, and uh, it's, I've never had to do it, but if someone says Kindle, I just end the call. Right there. <laughs> um, so, yep, no use for that. <laughs> yeah. Good to know. Good to know. Uh, finally, last last lightning round question. You're doing great. Tell us something you love about Middlebury. Am I saying it properly? Middlebury? Middlebury. Middlebury. Middlebury, yeah. Indiana. Tell us something you love. Uh, it is filled with Amish folks, and they are some of the best people in the world. Mm. They are beautiful, mm. beautiful people. So, and it's a it's a small community, so you get to know your neighbors pretty well, and and uh, they're just it's just a great place. That's great. I love That's a good. small town. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me too. I lived in Indiana for like a minute. I think I went to first mm. grade there, but I was in Southern Indiana. It's basically okay. basically Kentucky. Yeah. Anyway. Um, you know, that's the, that's the thing that I invented and, and contributed to the Forefront Festival. Um, my counterparts have like a better appreciation for fine arts and excellence. And, uh, I'm just, I'm just a little bit sillier than the rest of them. So Heather is going to transition us into some mature, mature, worthwhile discussion. I like it. Own it, man. I love the silly. I love the lightning questions. So Talk about when you started writing and and has it always been poetry or did you start with something else? What was your journey like? 
I, I have written probably since I was about five or six years old, and it was always journaling focused uh, early on, uh, which included, especially in my teenage years, some in truly terrible poetry um, and a lot of angst. And um, But what it's always been for me has been uh, a way to process um, the thoughts that are going on in my head. It's something that if I have something that I need to work out, I can write it on the page and I can write through it to some kind of a some kind of a stasis of some sort. I wouldn't necessarily say an answer, but um, some kind of a blessing after the struggle, I suppose. Um, so that was throughout, I did that throughout high school and throughout college. And, and college started to do it more for different things. Um, keeping up with the blog, um, uh, submitting some things to writing contests, um, doing more poetry here and there. And then in 2016, I made a go at it as, as something of a freelance career. Um, and so that involved a lot of different things. One of them was I, I created a uh, art and faith blog with a few friends of mine uh, that is currently defunct. Um, but I've always, I, I, I studied in music in college. And um, so I've always had an interest in how all of these things collide. Mm -hmm. music, art, film, literature, poetry, everything, and how that interacts with my faith. Um, and, and since then, and since then, it's been a lot more poetry. Um, we started a family and the time quotient um, got a little bit less. And so um, <laughs> it's changed since then to just focus on a few key areas, which I, I like and I appreciate. Um, I work now for a leader development company in the area uh, that focuses um, that focuses on rapid church growth areas, and so we help with. So I'm doing a lot of writing and editing with that uh, on a day to day basis. Um, but the stuff that really gets my heart going is the poetry and the letters that I write on Substack and um, dealing with faith and art and all things in between. Yeah. Beautiful. That's great. That makes sense, the musical connection, because your poetry, I feel like, is so lyrical. Like, I could see it. It's very song-like to me. Sure. Rhythm rhythm is something that matters very much to me, and the sound of how each of the words uh, works within mm -hmm. a line or within a poem, and um, the sound of it, it matters very much to me, yes. Yeah, Heather, you stole exactly. Heather and I are linked up. We're we're synced up here <laughs> yeah. because, uh, uh, yeah. When you said the music, I was like, that makes sense because uh, a lot of these I, I read by my, you know, I was reading this on my own, and some of these I'm like, I just have to read this out loud, which you should do with poetry anyway. But some of these I'm like, this is just that the music of this is beautiful. The internal rhyme, the um, alliteration, all of that stuff is just excellent. So um, we'll get into more of that. Um, give us a quick snapshot about like what what your writing life looks like as far as like time of day uh you have a beverage of choice are you starting off on paper and going to a computer or what, what's that like so right now my writing life is extremely haphazard um mm -hmm. mostly because we have five little ones under the age of 10 Wow. And um, do it. there are you, you capture the moments when you can. Um, <laughs> that being said, um, in better seasons and, and in some recent seasons, I've been able to focus on just a, a one night a week, usually on a Monday, um, spending two to three hours 
uh, just tapping away at something, working on something. Um, I find that, and it's usually in the evening, um, and it's usually with uh, a beer of some sort. I mm-hmm. especially enjoy, for those who know, um, Bell's Brewing Company um, and Three Floyds, which is an Indiana original. Um, Indiana, so faithful. Yeah, they're good. Uh-huh. Now, you can get them outside of Indiana. They're not like uh, the New Glarus up in Wisconsin where you can't oh, get yeah. them anywhere else, you know. Right. Oh, that's good. Good. Do you have uh, – sorry, did you mention this? The Like do you go on paper or computer or – What's that like? So oftentimes it depends on what I'm writing. Um, oftentimes I, I use just my notes app on mm-hmm. either a computer or on my phone. It depends on if I, if I'm snatching a moment in the middle of the day, it's on my phone. Yeah. If I'm in that space, I'll be on the computer. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, um, I have found that that Monday evening just showing up at that time frame, uh, it starts to help things flow more quickly um, in that time frame, mm-hmm. so that I can get moving quickly into something. Oh, that's good. Cool. Makes sense. So do you have any advice about getting a book published? And, and what was that? No. What was that like for you? With... <laughs> no. <laughs> None. no, I will say this. I've, I've, uh, I've gone the route in a couple of different ways of, of seeking to get something published that was not a poetry book. It was something different. Um, and there are a lot of hoops to jump through, and I fully respect anyone who is going through that process. I'm, uh, some, some writers that I know I greatly respect have been very candid about how difficult of a process that is. Um, I chose to self-publish both of my books, um, partially uh, because I wanted and needed psychological closure, and partially because I really wanted to work with specific artists to create something. Um, and through the rabbit room, which has been kind of a huge boon to my artistic life personally, um, I was able to connect with those artists. Um, as far as publishing goes, I have, and this can get into the, this can get nitty gritty really fast if you want it to. Um, and if not, please stop me. Oh, go ahead. Uh, worked with Ingram Spark and also with Lulu. And mm-hmm. a poet friend of mine suggested Lulu. That experience has been night and day easier. Um, and then I also chose this time in my second book not to um, make it available through Amazon. And that's a can of worms. So if you want to get mm. into that one, we can talk about that one another time. <laughs> no, it's, it's fascinating because uh, that, that is the, actually something that I uh, struggle with a lot is publishing stuff. I have mm. so many questions about that. And it's, mm. it's kind of like a, a different skill set, you know, creating mm. something versus mm. like the logistics of, I don't know. It feels like they don't go together well. Yeah, it's different muscles, I think. Um, and I think, too, there is there are a whole host of things that we come into it from our hearts as well, that we bring into it um, what we want this to be, what our goals are for this. Um, publishing, and, and many, many people have said this, publishing does not will not fulfill you. Publishing will not be the thing that makes you a writer. Um, writing makes you a writer. Um, mm-hmm. Writing poetry makes you a poet, and those things, and consistently doing that. Um, and I think, too, beyond that, there are very different experiences with different publishing companies and with different uh, magazines that publish things online. Um, they want different things. Um, I spent a I spent an entire year at one point uh, trying to accrue 100 rejections 
because that meant that I had submitted 100 places. And I did accrue 100 rejections. And I also got quite a few submissions. But what that taught me was that rejection is always going to stink. <laughs> it's never mm -hmm. going to feel good. Mm -hmm. But you can get used to it not feeling good. Mm -hmm. And you can just pick yourself up and move on and keep mm -hmm. going. And um, and through that, all, all that, I just ended up deciding that, you know, I want this book in the hands of people who want to read it. And I don't have the space, the energy, um, the headspace, really, to to really invest in the kind of marketing and hoopla that goes into right. publishing it traditionally. And uh, yeah, that was wow. the direction. <laughs> oh, that's really good. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, to be honest, you know, I, I, Heather got, you know, put your name on my radar and we hadn't met yet. And um, I got this, this book and this self-published book of poetry you don't know what you're gonna get right because right. sometimes there's a there's a bad rap with that um yep and of course I, I cracked it open and was like oh my goodness you know this this guy has more more talent in his his pinky finger than i've got you know my whole and i'm not i'm not just oh saying gosh, that buddy. it's a really really fantastic book mm -hmm. and uh yeah it's definitely definitely a viable option depending on circumstance and uh what your goals are and all of that so uh also just I mean, it doesn't look self-published. It looks fantastic. Mm -hmm. Like it's, yeah. you know, whatever the whatever the negative connotation exists with that. I think it's been complicated, at least in my mind, by this book. But um, the yeah. next the next question I wanted to ask is, uh, you have a poem in this uh, second collection, Masks and Mirrors. It's called "Ode to a Facebook Status." Uh, and a as we were, if I could share, as we were uh, planning this you know, scheduling this interview and all that, we were initially using uh, Facebook Messenger and um, Chris messaged us and said, hey guys, I'm about to I'm about to peace out from this entire platform. So here's my personal phone number and my email address. Um, can you just give us like a, a quick, um, you know, maybe a bit of wisdom for artists and uh, their relationship with social media? What's What's been on your mind? Just go, go nuts, whatever's on your mind. We'll give you we'll give you sixty seconds on it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. I will say that it was primarily a personal decision. I don't think that any of us are blind to the uh, detrimental, uh, destructive effects of social media on our mental health or on our society at large. So I don't necessarily need to get into that. Um, ultimately, the way I feel now is less cluttered. I feel like I have headspace for creativity. I feel like I am more present where I am with my family. Mm -hmm. um, and I also feel like I like the doors have been blown off of what's possible for me to pursue now as a writer. Mm. And I say that because in so much of social media, um, you are playing to the algorithm. You are seeking mm. to... And if you don't play to the algorithm, you will be punished for it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, with reduced reach, with reduced platform, with reduced everything. Um, and so I just got tired of playing by the rules. And I said, you know what? I'm not trying to make money off of this. I'm not trying to get a lot of people reading my stuff. I just want to make good art. Mm -hmm. And and so I left. God bless America. What a line. <laughs> what a line. Some good Midwestern common sense. That's good. So good. I love Midwest. Yeah. I know when I was off of Instagram for a while, I felt like 
oh gee now i gotta start from scratch again i got like yeah. 20 yeah. go from like all this you know engagement but then you're off for a while and now you got to build yeah. it all back up again and you know what's difficult is everyone says that you have to do it um yeah and how we don't we don't treat anything else in our lives like that like mm -hmm. yeah i know mm -hmm. this this relationship I have or this church I'm going to is like utterly toxic and it's actually destroying my mental health and it's actually bad for society, <laughs> but you know, it's the only way, you know, <laughs> it is crazy. It's really yeah. crazy. Maybe we need to rethink why, like what we're actually aiming for here. So, yeah. 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 What, what you Definitely. said is like, you feel like, Oh, I, but I can't, I gotta, I'll be missing out, you know, yeah. if I'm not on. And what, what you said is so true. It's like, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what like that guy from, my fifth grade class had for lunch today, but I do, I do, I am more present and more in touch with the people that are actually in my life in a real way. Yes. So, yeah. Anyway, that's just good wisdom. Yeah. Uh, we'll probably yeah. share this whole interview on social media. So <laughs> like and subscribe. More power to you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the irony, the beautiful irony. So let's talk about this particular book, Masks and Mirrors. Um, the, of course, we talked about already, the cover art is amazing. So mm -hmm. could you talk about your collaboration with, with Ned Bustard and how that came to be and choosing him, etc.? So uh, Ned Bustard, for, for those listeners who may not know, is a phenomenal uh, artist who foc focuses mm -hmm. on Little Cut. And he is, I mean, he's, you've probably seen his work in Every Moment Holy. Um, and I knew of him through the rabbit room and had, had in passing, probably chatted with him maybe once at a, at a Hutchmoot, which is the rabbit room gathering. Uh, probably fairly similar to the Forefront Festival, I imagine. But uh, I honestly did not think that he would respond. I, I honestly, I just, I loved his stuff. I thought it would work really well with this particular book. And so I just emailed him out of the blue and was like, hey, you don't really know me. Um, I love your work. Would you be interested in doing this? And he wrote back within 15 minutes and said, sure, let's make a book. And oh, that's I awesome. cannot get over it. I, I just, I'm in awe of Ned in so mm -hmm. many ways. And, and his and his wife Leslie as well, who actually just recently passed away and has been such an inspiration mm. um, to me as a poet and as a person and um but he so the collaboration really was he we just we just talked on the phone for about 45 minutes about i sent it i sent him the manuscript i said you know like I, this one the work that i've been doing recently feels extremely raw and bloody and it seems like it needs to be and it's and it's crazy and wild and i want it to feel crazy and wild Mm -hmm. and the main artistic touch points were punk rock album covers mm -hmm. and psychedelic uh, coloring. Yes. And, and, and this <laughs> is what he came up with. And I remember getting the first, we, we did the first, like just lining out everything. And I sent him some different like images that I thought would be really cool to have on there. And then he added more um, in the top left of the front cover. You see a Catherine wheel, which is an ancient medieval torture device. He added this because my name is Wheeler. Oh. <laughs> I, initially, okay. I thought, oh, that's cool. There's a torture device on it. I like that. That makes sense. <laughs> and then that's I later found cool. out. 
that it was just a pun for my name, um, which I'll uh, accept. I would never have noticed that. That's, that's amazing. Great. And that's, that's what I love about it. What I told him, I was like, I want people to be able to stare at it for like 30 minutes and still not necessarily catch everything. Yeah. And that's what he created. The hot pink was serendipity because um, he sent it to me and he was like, I don't know what I think about this, but you tell me. And I was like, it looks like candy. It looks like candy. I love it. It is exactly the direction that I didn't even know I wanted. And it's it's really like a in the best way, like this artificial hot pink, like mm-hmm. uh, the the words are escaping me. But it's really kind of sinister in like yeah. an ironic way. Like it's yeah. it's the, it's the same. I liken it to like the the that Shining movie, right? <laughs> Where we've got the the like twin the twin girls that are just the scariest thing on the planet but there's just these little girls and like these these outfits i'm like that's yes. horrifying and uh <laughs> you have yeah. no idea how much i love that comparison it's so good <laughs> it's it's really like we've got we've got to get this to our listeners you got to buy this book i mean it, it is yeah. really beautiful um inside and out but the cover is really worth talking about it's uh, it's a shame like we we can't uh yeah, this is an audio kind of medium, but wow, is it yeah. incredible. Just use the cover instead of my face on the on the front piece. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely That's have so to get good. it out there. It's it's awesome. Yeah. Just buy the book. Yeah, just buy the book. Yes. So good. Cool. So let's let's get into it. Now we've talked about the outside. Let's let's dive into this book. The rest of our time we'll kind of work through as much as we can here. I um kind of made a small mark on the pages of the poems that I'm like, oh, I want to talk about this one with him. Mm. Or maybe I can ask him to read this one. And by, you know, 20 pages in, I'm like, okay, I'm just starring like 75% of the pages. And this is, <laughs> this is now a fruitless activity. So I guess I want to start here. The book, as I kind of read it, explores this idea of being, quote, inescapably known and deeply loved. Right. So this progression kind of plays out through each part of the book. There's tons of like raw lamentation in especially that first section that, um, again, plays so well with with the front cover. Um, But can you discuss kind of how you decided and why you decided to structure the book into the three distinct parts? Certainly. Yeah. One of my poet friends in my first book encouraged me to potentially pursue some kind of a narrative within it. And when I started approaching the work that I had done over the last, the intervening years between when I published that one, so the last three years, um, a lot of it had to do with identity, with um, what does it mean to follow Christ when most of my days are filled with doubts and most of what I'm seeing is not jiving with what I think the life of, of walking with Christ is actually supposed to look like. So the journey that I decided to take with it was to basically peel back as many layers as possible until I could get down to the bone um, or cut deeper and deeper and deeper in. So the shape of it is uh, a V. Uh, and in the first section of the book, it cuts down through um, this, all of these layers that we layer on top of ourselves that are our personas, our masks that we present to the world, are are the false mirrors that we look into, maybe the true mirrors that we look into that are just hard to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these things that kind of accumulate in our lives and our hearts and that were, had been accumulating in my life and heart. Um, 
during that process, which some, some people call it de- deconstruction. I think that uh, that term is, is, is a very loaded term. Um, and we could talk about that maybe at some point, but um, through this entirety of, of trying to determine who am I in Christ, if this is my lived experience. Um, and then at the crux of it, in the middle of um, Imago, which is the second book, Mm-hmm. Um, is a resurrection poem, which is an Easter poem um, called Death Life. And at mm-hmm. that point, then you start putting skin back on the bones mm-hmm. of the entire thing. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Am I, am it, I going <laughs> way, way better than I even expected? Because, okay. uh, yeah. like, bra- bravo on the structure of this book, because I've read lots of, I've read several, like, great books of poetry in the last year. Um, but this one, I think more than, probably anyone I've ever read uh, convinces me that it is a book of poetry. Like this is not a compilation of poems and they're like kind of around the same subject generally. Like this really reads to me like I crafted this and each poem that ended up in this book, I wrote to to belong in this book. Um, And uh, I was just so, so impressed by that. In the, the V explanation with death life, like I that that kind of went over my head. I knew the general shape was, uh, well, I actually didn't know the second two parts. Like I knew the first part was like, th- there's just this pain here, and mm. it they mm. end up more hopeful. Uh, mm. But that that is the shape of redemptive history and all that. So yeah. it, it was cool to hear you explain it. I was initially worried that the first part of the book would put people off of it, <laughs> um, and. And and would uh, I, I wanted to have some kind of like a, a marker along the way, like, hey, it's gonna get better. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> there is hope. You know? um, but I, I think that that's so necessary. Um, in in so much of the Christian life, we do not acknowledge Good Friday. Mm-hmm. We stick around nope. on Easter Sunday. Yep. And we need both of those things. Yep. Um, I need Easter Sunday to remind me to to choose and pursue joy. And I need Good Friday to remind me to mortify my flesh and die every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so each of these things, like the darkness and the light of the world, are always pointing us to the grace of God. And if we don't have both of them, we have this imbalanced, um, it, it, it just does not work. It doesn't feel right because right. the hope, we, we get a strained relationship to the hope if mm-hmm. we don't allow ourselves to acknowledge the, the realness of the pain and uh yeah. i tell you what the the poems at the end of the book that are just drenched with hope are way more impactful because of that journey we went through in the beginning to the depth of the pain like oh um yeah, yeah so it's i'll say something more later I've, I've got more to say about that but uh i'll pass it back to heather that was perfect that was like exactly what you were talking about was the rawness of um, what you write and like how it digs so deep. And I think that's so necessary, but, and I, as I was reading it, I'm like, gosh, that's like, so such a vulnerable place to write really. And do you find like, is that, is that tough for you or does it just flow naturally for you? Like being that open and that, that raw. I think first of all, the editing process is helpful, um, for all of these because, at any given point, when I write something, it's going to be in a state that might be just a little rough. And by rough, I mean not just the poetry of it that needs to be edited, but also um, the the emotion of it 
could be a place that's not actually helpful for people or that is actually um, uh, gilding something that should be mortified maybe is a mm. way of putting it. Mm. Um, uh, taking something and, and obsessing over and I, I talk about this in the in several poems actually how an obsession with darkness or a bentness toward it uh, can actually uh, become ingrown instead of actually be a helpful way of looking at it. Um, so yes, it is, it's not hard to write the initial thing because I know it's not going to be seen. Um, it is hard to get it to the point where I say, is this actually going to hit home for people in a way? Mm -hmm. And, and some of those, some of those decisions, um, uh, some of those decisions, I, I always, I always kind of run them through my wife, actually. I always kind of mm -hmm. read them to her and I'm like, is this, is this going too far? And she's got, she's got this instinct for it and knows if it's going to be something like, I don't think, I don't think that's going to be like, you need to say that, or that's going to be helpful for someone. Mm. And, and I think there's, there's a lot of poetry that just wants to shock and awe and mm -hmm. titillate. And, and then there's poetry that needs to tell it like it is. And mm. there's a difference between those two things. And I try to do um, the tell it like it is. And if that's going to mean bearing a certain part of who I am, then then that's that's what I owe my readers, I think. Mm. Yeah, because it seems there's there's two errors you can make. You can make the error of uh, just going so raw and untethered uh, that you're almost in, indulging darkness in a, mm -hmm. in a really subtle sense. And then the opposite error being like, well, I'm just going to like, pretend like everything's a bit easier than it really is and uh i don't i don't think the yeah the lord's not mm -hmm. pleased with either of those directions so mm -hmm. uh it sounds like the the wisdom exercise there is pretty useful yeah and i think i think readers are not pleased with it either when it mm -hmm. comes down to it um readers can tell <laughs> when yeah. something is not coming from a place of reality mm -hmm. when something is coming from and, and that's that's a difficult thing to do as a reader i think sometimes yeah well of course because i'm a nature photographer i love all the references to nature and so can you talk about a little bit like where that comes from what's what's mm. there's obviously a deep connection and then i read um the clay song and is this mm you know, the, is this the story behind the deep love of nature? <laughs> yeah. So the clay song, um, was actually inspired by propaganda's, um, latest book, Terraform. I don't know if you've read it. It's, it's, it's really excellent. Worth I have, reading. I'll have to, um, I love propaganda. Yeah. Uh, his, his, I, I listened to it and he talked about how, uh, how you trace where you've come from through soil and, um, uh, so much of my life, and this is this was not necessarily even planned, <laughs> has been has been lived on a three-acre plot of land in Indiana, and uh, we, uh, my wife and I, met and married in Chicago, lived there for ten years, and that had that place holds a lot of good memories and beauty for us. But when we returned to Indiana and purchased my childhood home from my parents, who now live with us as well, uh, so we're a multi-generation home, um, uh, that. The, the sense of just returning to this place. And, and one poet that I didn't mention in the lightning round is Wendell Berry, who's been a huge influence. Mm. 
and this place and the sense of place and the necessary um, space that I needed to occupy here um, became kind of a daily liturgy for me, needing to um, needing to be close to the earth in some way. And of course, I'm, I'm not, I grew up in farm country. I'm not a farmer, right? I, we, we attempt a garden. We have a large garden and, and we're, we're growing wildflowers in the back meadow. And we're trying to kind of create this space. We're trying to view these three acres as our, as the garden, you know, it's not just the specific place that grows vegetables. It's the entire space that God has given us here on earth. How do we mm-hmm. tend, nurture, and cultivate this garden? Um, and on top of that, um, if you couldn't tell from the book, I, I, I am a four in the Enneagram. And mm-hmm. one of the ways to stay healthy as a four and not inside of yourself so far that you're like ingrown is to be present in a place, to, to be where you are doing physical things, doing things that get you out of your head and, and get your hands in the dirt. Mm-hmm. And so... Being able to observe, and that is the poetic, that, that is what poets do. We, we observe, like the whole point of it is to be able to see well and, and then to communicate what we see with the best words possible. Um, and so all of those things combined to be like, this is where I am right now and I am going to study this dandelion the heck out of it, you know? Um, <laughs> And, and just a just a little plug. Um, my wife is with Ambleside Online and Charlotte Mason, and one of the big things oh. about Charlotte Mason is nature study. And yep. so my children are doing this as well. And and when you come home and your children have like an entire table full of of things that they found on their nature walk today, <laughs> start to pay a little bit more attention to these things. <laughs> so. Mm. Yep. See, I knew it. Where you are definitely kindred spirits. I homeschooled <laughs> my daughter using the Charlotte Mason, and then oh, we moved wonderful. on to classical. Yep. That's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> we started with nature study too. Yep. Yes, wow. it's wonderful. There's so many beautiful things there. I love. I love that it yeah. is about laying a feast before your kids. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and about For sure. Incorporating beauty in it. Anyway, we could. That's a whole other topic of conversation right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful though. I love it. Well, I, I'm itching to hear some like imagery and so like actually finally dig deep in here. Um, so yes. uh, let let's transition to this little. It's probably the corniest thing um, that uh, I do on this podcast. I call it uh, Cody's Compliment Corner. All right, because it's an alliteration. <laughs> but the, the the vision behind this for me is uh, is really about like as someone who who does like more than tinker with words, like really agonize over, over words and, and search and play with and revise and, and pay really special attention to like, I want this sound next to that sound. And then this line breaking here. And like, I, I just was so impressed by this. And I wanted to just quickly like mention a few things just so you know, that it's it's you know these things blessed me and they they're not like lost in the void somewhere like i saw <laughs> this i know that you did this intentionally and i appreciate okay. <laughs> it um so i i'm gonna run through a few of those kind of just compliments heather jump in whenever you want uh but i also have uh sprinkled in a couple questions just because again this book um this this book lit me up and i really um, want to ask you about a few things so uh let, let's get started on this. One poem you write 
am I healed or waiting for healing? Okay, so if you've been following Christ, you know exactly what that means to experience this. You know, sometimes we we hear it said like the already but not yet, you know, of of salvation. Like we're we're saved in Christ by faith, and it's done, it's finished. We're also waiting, you know, for a day that we walk, uh, not just by faith but by sight and the second coming, all of that. So this this stage of history we're in right now is this already but not yet. So you write, am I healed or waiting for healing? And the question might be answered by a line that comes later in the book. I have so often loved darkness more than light, but the light has never left its love for me. Um, so I, I just wanted to, yeah, I mean, so so beautiful just to wrestle with that. Um, I want to pause and ask if you would actually, Chris, be willing to read speech for us. This is one that I think Heather and I both really enjoyed. Sure. Speech. I will speak with reservation, checking the clock and the reference manual of the foundations I'm deserting. The sieve of values held high, sorting out truths from lies and proofs from tries. The days are full of old death and new lives, a thousand pounds of chaos in each breath as I die. Don't wait up for me. I will speak when I know what I know is no longer than I've known it when I prove to myself I can own it, when I know who I can trust. In between the divine and the dust is this static that clings to me, drawing all things from me. The days are full of old breath and new lies, otherness alien that smothers the failings I see. Will you wait for me? My words cling to the cracks, scrape stigmatic tracks to prove what I lack. The figments I follow scatter far afield, folded into theories and queries I'm loath to reveal. Am I healed or waiting for healing? Between the one and the other lies a fullness of days pulling this place into my chest, stealing the best of it, desperate for the rest of it, desperate to rest in it. So good. So good. Um, there is, it's difficult to uh, say something beautiful and say it beautifully. I think this poem does that well. My words cling to the cracks, scrape stigmatic tracks to prove what I lack. You get the scatter in there, the that that sound repeated um, in what you're saying. It's just, Great rhythm. Yeah, so beautiful. Um, yeah, I love that one. Thank uh, th thanks for reading that. Um, there's also an incredible simile. I didn't actually write down which poem this came from. Forgive me. Uh, li listen to this simile. This is what I love. Her voice slurred like a sunset through the bottom of a bottle. Her voice slurred like a sunset through the bottom of a bottle. What I love with that simile, like you're comparing two different things, but you're kind of mixing the senses. So like the voice is sound, but sunset through the bottom of a bottle is sight. Mm -hmm. And I just love, I've only just realized when writers do that, how much I appreciate it, like how difficult it is to come up with that comparison and how lovely that was so um that that might be my favorite simile in the book yeah. uh yeah I, I this is a title of a poem i believe i love you but not really <laughs> right yeah this is an it just an incredible lamentation of, of like feeling stuck in this um this is how i read it anyway correct me but this yeah. this idea of like yeah god i love you but like not really not not like i want to um 
I mean, just the exhaustion, you know, you can hear the exhaustion in this first part of the book of, of failing, you know, yeah. um, the, the self-loathing, the, all of that stuff that we've experienced, if we're honest with ourselves. Um, not to be outdone by the next title here, uh, To Hell With Your Hope. <laughs> what a powerful, what a, what a powerful uh, title. Um, really raw. It, it kind of mocks hope, this idea of hope. But it concludes with this inescapable hope that sustains even the person that tries to reject it. Mm. Am I reading that properly, Chris? Yeah. So to hell with your hope started as just being really annoyed with everyone talking about how spring was here and how I was not feeling anywhere close to new life springing up within. Mm. Um, And from there, from there it was written through to this point where I think the biggest expression, okay, inescapably known and loved nonetheless as a, as a, a window into the book really has to do with this idea of how on earth could someone like me be lovable to God? Mm-hmm. And I think we all get there at some point mm-hmm. where we realize our need of him and that all that he needs is for us to feel our need of him Mm. and for us to accept and receive the love that he gives us and that in and of itself is probably the hardest thing that we do to receive that love and um i think that poem and so many other poems throughout this are me struggling with um the fact that there was nothing i could do to deserve that Mm-hmm. And there was no use that I could make of myself to God that mm-hmm. would deserve his mercy. And yet he gives it to me nonetheless, freely, over and over again, at every point. And so to hell with your hope was essentially saying, you know, like, I don't have hope. The only thing I have is Jesus <laughs> and his love for me that even I that I even struggle to receive myself. So. Yeah, it's just such a it it dives deep to like you said the very bone of our brokenness. It's like this is how deep it goes. If I'm being honest, on the inside, and yet there's more grace. The grace goes even deeper. Um, just beautiful, so so beautiful. Heather, you got one? Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I was the imagery in static on the line. It's just for me, just, I felt like I'm standing there with you, like Mm. in this end of winter, beginning of spring, sort of, and and actually now that you just, what you just said makes so much sense for it too, for Mm. static on the line, because I I kept thinking about it and I thought it's almost like there's like this tragic time in spring where everything the winter is ending everything's a mess it's it's Mm -hmm. chaos it's ugly but then you have this new growth and this beautiful these beautiful things coming up through that wreckage i think you called it maybe um Mm -hmm. but and and it's just i love it It, i felt like the the imagery was just phenomenal to me so Mm. that was one i would love for you to read yes yeah Static on the line, and the quote at the top is, it is you who made them and are now remaking them in consolation, St. Augustine. 
Early spring unchanging reveals the wreckage of winter, clattering down into a knot of limbs. The origins of all things gather in the swale and rush to the lowest point. And the green abides. The green pushes up and out, eternally beneath and supernally above. The wind rakes the ground for planting. Here, the deer path marks a boundary between wild and held. And here, a fallen limb is caught by its brothers. There, the one that touches earth creates many shelters. Through all that changes, the mockingbird reminds us of the lyrics he has known. Fantastic. So good. Let's keep rolling. These are good. The, the next one I want to mention is uh, Rarity. And uh, that's a... It's, it's actually one of the more like accessible, straightforward poems that uh, compares joy to like an easily spooked animal right um yeah yeah, which is like so precise to my experience um i wouldn't think to put it that way but it does sometimes feel like something i don't have control over Mm -hmm. right like be joyful and yet yet the bible commands us you know rejoice in the lord and and uh, maybe in the waiting that's how we make it happen is uh you can't just force yourself to be happy but there have been moments where I said, "Lord, I I need a fresh, you know, dose of of strength and joy and a fresh experience of you, and I'm not going to leave this place until, yeah. you know, you meet me." And sometimes He does that. Uh, oftentimes, if I wait, but uh, can you, can you say a quick word about that that kind of conception of joy as this thing that is like an easily spooked animal that you got to be still, you know, don't don't scare it away. Yeah, <laughs> searching for searching for joy and pursuing joy is something that I'm not good at. Mm. And so um, coming to it as coming to it carefully, coming to it thoughtfully, coming to it, realizing that the depth of things and the height of the goodness and the joy and the hope that is available in the world is often in the tiniest things Mm. um, is, is kind of where, the entry point to that poem came from. I just finished reading um, Return of the King. Um, and throughout Tolkien's work, there are these moments where something tiny and yet so eternal um, peeks through kind of the, the, the grim blackness of this last book as they're heading on. And you see it in in the two towers when they find the king's head lying on the ground and a flower crown has mm. has come around it or you see it when for a moment the clouds part and sam sees a star like straight up and it, it reminds him that there are things beyond all of mm. this all of mm-hmm. this darkness that he's experienced right now all this suffering and then you see it when the um witch king has the Grand has broken down the gates and the Witch King is standing on the threshold of Minas Tirith and a rooster crows somewhere because Dawn, Dawn. is still here. So good. You know? And so even though um, it, it, it is in these small, tiny, easily scared things almost, you know, easily banished things, mm-hmm. um, those things are so wildly powerful. Mm-hmm. And um, so going to look for them, going to sit in the same spot and see them um, and to wait for them, as you said, um, is really how we how we engage, is really how we grasp those things, I think. 
And I will hasten to say, I am not good at it. And I'm trying to get better every day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless you, man. It's a, it's a beautiful poem. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I hope you read it to yourself often. It's so good. Um, I, I want to ask for uh, your, your countenance upon us. It might be my single favorite poem. Um, mm. I have uh, hoped to have a family someday and ho- hope to have children um, because I think, I think I'll realize like when you have kids, you understand the love of the father. I understand that in my mind right now, but I think if I had a child, I'd kind of get to a deeper understanding of like, oh God, you love me like I love this child you even more. You must really love me. And so I think some of that is happening if I'm remembering the, the right poem here. Uh, mm-hmm. So Chris, could you read uh, your countenance upon us? Yeah, absolutely. Your countenance upon us. Yesterday, I took to the mirror to convince the downcast self I saw there. You are not your own. Hell has no claim on you. Then I heard the noble drum of tiny toes on tile and the creak of the waiting door, and my son, who should have been in bed, entered in a blaze of glory, burnished as a bush. We had just removed the sides from his crib, and he asked me what I was about, so big in his out-of-bedness as to be bold. I told him I was glad to see him, that I needed a hug, and I did, and I let him hold me. I sighed out the bad feelings into his shoulder and took heart in the bigness of his. I tucked him into the pocket of his bed, and he burrowed down once more. In every new descent, I hold this brazen image close his arms clasped tight as a locket about my neck. What it means to be a father. What it means to be a son. Okay. I love that one. I that know. one's very moving. It is. Mm. That's, the, that's the one that'll make you tear up. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you don't, if you don't want to pick up this book after that, um, I don't know what to tell you. I, I love that poem. Yeah. Thank you. I will say one of the, one of the things about fatherhood that I did not expect was just um, how much I needed to accept God's fatherhood in order mm. to be one in any mm. capacity. Um, learn, relearn what it means to be a child. Mm. Um, mm. And, wow. and my children teach me that so that there, there's ample opportunity to, to be humbled. <laughs> um and just yeah, a little they teach e- you humility, that's for sure. <laughs> just a little Easter egg with this one. Um, these, the image of the locket actually uh, is contained in another poem earlier on. Yes. And oh, is a cool. To, uh, to keep the faith. Yes. The locket. I do remember that two times. Um Man, there's so I'm sad. There's so many we didn't get to talk about that. That one with the the golden calf. That oh my gosh, that's an incredible poem too. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're gonna wrap up in a minute here. Um, I I did want to say that there's uh, a passage from First Peter that um, I've held on to for a lot of years. Um, uh, he he writes, "Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour." Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Mm-hmm. And the God of all grace, who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you, making you strong, firm, and steadfast. Um, the, the line that I thought of as I was reading this was specifically, 
resist the devil, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Mm. And as I was reading this, man, I just immediately could tell, like, hey, this, this is my brother in Christ, and I haven't met him yet, um, but what, what you know, this is, this is the same experience as me, different details, but this is what it's felt like to walk with Jesus, all the pain, all the joy, everything in between. And um, it was just such an encouragement to say, oh, I'm not alone in the depths of darkness on those days when it feels like, man, I'm the only one that's going through this. And uh, what an encouragement it was to me. Um, And even more so when I read something like uh, Canticle of the Mothers. And um, if I could read the the last uh, few stanzas of that piece, um, they're just so beautiful. And this is closer to the end of the book when things start to get hopeful and we we've earned our uh, our cheerful poems um <laughs> but, yeah let me read the last bit of this it's so beautiful let these fingers wind their way about yours like a living vine hold every sacred moment within you until it blooms be woman be womb what stories we will tell when we gather at the end of this world what leaping within at the eternal greeting. That just, it, it reminds me of a passage somewhere, I don't know where it is, but it says that God's people will be overtaken by joy when they enter the gates of Zion. Mm-hmm. And that, that experience of being overtaken by joy is, man, that is what gets us through dark nights, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah. I love that one. Absolutely. Yeah. So good. Definitely. Okay, uh, Heather, final thoughts, final words um, before we, we wrap up here? Oh, I just, I, I want to echo what you were saying because you're saying like that's the common struggle and that's exactly how I felt was what you were saying, Cody. Just mm-hmm. it's the same, it resonated so much. Your poetry just resonates, I think, because it is so raw and real. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, and I kept thinking the whole time too, these are like, lamentation i feel like i'm reading the psalms and that there's always this hope within it and uh yeah it's just mm-hmm. just beautiful everybody needs to get their copy of the book mm-hmm. well, Amen. you you have no idea how much of a shot in the arm this is to hear you uh, uh, speak okay. of the poems in this way i mean i've lived with them for for a number of years now and, and to be able to share them and for them to hit home in such a way is just such an honor <laughs> It's such an honor. So I'm, I'm so grateful for you and, and, and thank you. So glad you shared them. Yeah, me too. The Lord is using it for sure. Um, I'm sure our listeners are blessed. Uh, listen, we're going we're gonna to end the show with a final poem, Planting Time. Um, I, I do want to just say thank you again, Chris, uh, for taking the time to chat with us today. Uh, sincerely blessed by your book and faith. Um, if listeners to Forefront 360 want to follow your work, uh, they can go to chriswheelerwrites.com or subscribe to it's tethered letters, right? Yeah, so uh, tethered letters. It would be chriswheelerwrites.substack.com for that one as well. But you okay. can find me there. Uh, Excellent. The book is is available now on lulu.com. Just type in masks and mirrors, and it should be the first one to come up. That's right. L U L U. Right. Yep. Lulu. Great. Um, Chris, can I can I pray for you real quick? We don't normally do this yes, on the, please, on the episode, thank you. cool. Okay, uh, Father, thank you for for Chris and for Heather and for our time here to just um, 
meditate on on you ultimately um thank you for giving chris uh these words lord that have blessed me and heather and i'm sure many more people god thank you for being so faithful to him lord what a what a journey i'm sure he's been through and you know every detail of it um but he's he stands here firm on the faith still after everything um how how good you are to us father um and we ask that you continue to sustain and bless his family lord help his children come to know you and love you deeply lord bless his wife and his whole family and his life in indiana and his community lord we just lift him up to you and ask that uh, he continue to to run the race um toward the prize which is you uh pray for his future work that it would be a huge blessing we we love him and we love you lord ask this all in jesus name amen 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 thank you yeah my pleasure all right uh so uh that is all the time we've got Uh, i'm going to sign out we'll hear one final poem from chris it's called planting time i know you're going to love it Uh, until next time keep pursuing authentic faith and excellent art planting time We turn the soil on a new plot, slicing sod with tractor steel, pouring steaming cocoa compost into the belly of the earth, warm and sweet and rich. We stir the sun tea in the first rays of spring, eddies of leaf oil, clover honey, a dandelion nods approval of the child who plucks it and folds itself up into a fragrant parcel. Everything exhales sunbeams. The packets of seeds rattle, dry bones of cucumber, corn, carrot, lavender, geranium, planted to become green tissue, root marrow, kerneled milk and honey, fragrant petaled flesh, the coming summer sacrament. We take hold of eternity here, shaking the loam from the roots, staining our hands the color of time. Heads bowed in worship, we turn the earth.